My name is Eric McCoy, and you have just joined a brand new podcast called Recovering Through Highness. This new podcast is going to offer ideas. It's not about identifying solutions. Solutions and answer to a problem, or more explicitly from, we went to the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, a bringing or coming to an end. <laughs> Every time I'm asked, or I hear people that you know state that they have the solution to our drug problem, I'm either confused on that question, or I've defined the person you know, offering me the solution as a black and white thinker that has no open mind. Solutions are killing people and destroying our country. I'm an author, I'm a counselor, I'm a teacher, and I'm a student. I've worked in all avenues of the substance abuse industry for over 16 years, and I have no solutions, but I got plenty of ideas. A solution puts everybody in the same category and doesn't differentiate the possibility that people learn differently have different qualities, understand the world through the eyes of their parents or individuals who raised them. And these individuals can be beautiful people that made very bad choices. I'm the author of Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success, which began with a spark to create something that may reach the masses, help people who don't understand the power and battle within the drug abuser, families who've lost ones, either through death or an uncertainty whether their son or daughter is still alive. There's a chapter in there for our youth, and also it's designed for clinicians that may provide a disservice to their clients, as I've seen many times over the years. As many may think that writing a book means that you know everything about your topic, well, I'm going to tell you my humility tells me otherwise. The book is broken into three parts, which began with pain, failure, and misery. This was the part that I battled tremendously in determining how far I wanted to go. This is my story that is explicit, detailed, and honest. It's my story that was designed to present my experiential knowledge and proof that no matter how far down the rabbit hole you may have gone, it's possible to find your way out. I wanted to share a statement I made in my book. No matter where you have been or what you have done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight for it. This part was also for those who don't understand the mindset the thought process, and power that are known by those individuals. I relate it in the story to the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Very little is off limits once that drug enters my brain, triggering that reward pathway of survival, which we may talk about a little bit further. Each chapter begins with a poem that will set a stage, and I think I'll read a poem at the end of this podcast. The second part of the book is a step into the unknown, with the stepping stones to success as the third. This book is really only a brief autobiography, and then it leads into chapters that explore healing, seeing the world differently, thinking outside the box, and thinking for yourself. The most important part for me was that it was designed to make it personal with a workbook that's actually at the end of the book. My recovery is not your recovery, and what I want may not be what you want. Hopefully you want success, which can mean something that is outside of my understanding of success. If you're finding progress in the 12-step program, that's great. If you're someone who's embraced God and find your strength at church, I'm standing with you. If you found peace by surfing with camaraderie and your fellow dudes, <laughs> I'll encourage you. This podcast is going to evolve over time, and it's going to include educational discussions, interviews, and discussions with professionals and guests, which some of you may know. I'm currently doing this at a music store and will expand to encourage call-ins. I'll present my email address and website to stay available to people. I'm seeking to help anybody that needs assistance 
Americans and offer a voice to those who have lost to this battle. 2017 st- statistics said that we had over two, 72,000 Americans that died of a drug overdose. That's over 160 people a day. The interesting part about this podcast, and I want to kind of express this, is that I do not care what people think, which has become important, and I hope everyone gets to this place. This has nothing to do with disrespecting people and not caring what they think. I will always respect people, and this respect has no validity on how I'm treated. That's what integrity is. If I base the value of respect on something I have no control over, and that is you, then I would have no no integrity. I'll probably delve into religion and politics for the sole purpose of my topic. I have no interest in politics, but I do have interest in love. I have interest in empathy, and I have interest in helping people. Politics and religion will be potentially useful as examples to help people think for themselves. Personal power, which is a topic that I do explore heavily in my book is something that can be important and it saddens me when I see people that have no qualities that show this. And I'm going to throw out a very controversial thing right here right now. President Donald Trump has very little if no personal power. Trump supporters will disagree (laughs) and I want to give a quick disclosure on my political view. I'm unable to completely side with either side, Democrats or Republicans. I am not a black and white thinker. I can agree with certain aspects of Republicans. I agree with certain aspects of Democrats, but I disagree with certain aspects of both parties also. That statement implies that he is... So President Trump is a president who was elected by the people and for the people. That statement implies that he is for all people, not just Republicans, not just the rich, and not just the people who speak, act, and think like he does. The most disheartening thing that I experience often is to either know or hear of people dying every day. Still, not last year or the year before, today. President Trump will never admit and will actually define the success of things that aren't successful. He promotes his own thoughts as facts while discrediting the experts that actually understand the information. His website boasts with manipulating information designed to put the country at ease and not worry because he is going to stop opioid abuse. Stating something is handled and not a problem is a political ploy that will continue to kill people. Is this politics over lives? James Carroll, who has no experience in this arena, was placed as director of national control, the national, uh, the director of national control policy. His site states the number of first-time heroin users ages 12 and older fell by more than 50% in July 2017. Well, according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, it says that heroin use with 10th graders from 2018 to 2019 went up 25%. It's also said that amphetamines for 8th graders went from 3.7% to 4.10% from 2018 to 2019. The Support Act, which Donald Trump took credit for, was a bipartisan bill that supports opioid recovery and treatment. Well, in 2017, out of 70,237 overdose deaths, 22,637 weren't related to opioids. So we'll explore this further, but I wanted to discuss recovery and one of the most misunderstood terms. And the first thing that I want to explore is the term, what are we recovering from? And I think this is one of the most misunderstood ideas, you know, and again, depending on who you ask, you'll get different answers. A lot of people in recovery, especially early in recovery, really struggle with this idea that it's a lifetime 
commitment scenario. Well, if we're going to define something as being a lifetime commitment, what are we ultimately recovering from? What are we recovering from that's going to be a lifetime component? This isn't cancer. This isn't diabetes. And I'm not necessarily disputing the disease idea, which is another thing that we can ultimately talk about later. But this isn't cancer. And so um, so what are we recovering from that's ultimately going to be a lifetime thing? And that's something that I want to talk about really quick. And I've thought really, really hard about it. I do talk about this in my book. And uh <clears throat> I have a chapter in there that's called Is Recovery Real? And I discuss this idea, what are we recovering from? And I have an answer that I came up with and uh, um, that I, I think is important for people to understand. But the answer that I came up with, especially when I look at my life, is I am recovering from loss. I'm recovering from loss. So I'll give you a quick scenario on my story. So I began using it at a very young age. Uh, getting arrested was a normal protocol for me. Uh, I was arrested four times before I even turned the, turned uh, 18 years old. Um, I went through uh, my first treatment program when I was 16 years old. That's when I was first introduced to the 12-step program. I uh, went to rehab again in 1999. And uh, in 2001, I was arrested four times in six months and I was facing 15 years in prison. And I can honestly say that when I look at methamphetamine, which was my drug of choice. It was my first, my most important true love in my life. Methamphetamine, it gave me comfort. It gave me solace. It gave me uh, motivation. And it helped get me through a lot of difficult times in my life, which is the same types of things you talk about in terms of a a loving, healthy, you know, healthy, but you know, in a loving relationship with somebody that gets you through difficult times sometimes. And so when I reached that place where I made a decision that I was going to change and that I was going to do something, I had to give up that love. I had to give up that thing that was, but of course, at that point in time, it wasn't really, it was more of that love hate scenario because it was ultimately killing me uh, when I got arrested that last time and, and they weighed me I weighed 230 pounds or I'm sorry I weighed 130 pounds and uh, I'm six foot three inches and so I was really sucked up at that point in time it's loss it was loss that I had to deal with grief and loss and the interesting concept is that one of the things that I'm healing from or healing from at that point in time was loss before I ultimately gave up the drug which is what I had to lose and what I mean by that is I lost my health, I lost my family, I lost my friends, I lost everything. In 2002 was actually the fourth arrest. It was January January 3rd, 2002, and I had lost everything. And I came to a realization the only the only way that I was going to get these things back was that I had to lose the drug and that loss and to deal with that loss to gain what I ultimately defined as being much more important. I still have that I still have that loss in my life. I still have that, you know, for people that, you know, you hear in recovery or, you know, places like that is that um, that complete obsession has been removed. Yes, the, the obsession component has been removed, but is there still that loss? Do I still miss it at times? Does it still pop in my head? Yes. And that's okay. I can still have those thoughts and I can have those feelings and I can have those even desires at times, but it's okay because I, you know, I know today ultimately how I can work through those things. And part of that reality is that I can, you know, decide that what I have today is so much more important than that thing that I had to give up. One thing that I want to talk about, and I think this is really, really important, 
And especially I want to talk about this kind of defining different things throughout the beginning of this podcast and the first thing. And, and that is the title that I named this, Recovering Through Highness. And one of the biggest disservices and I think failures that happens with treatment programs, with clinicians and you know people in the 12-step program, there's no appeal. There's no appeal to people. When, you know, I was working in the industry for as many years that I've worked in this industry, the, you know, I have many clients that come in and their first mindset of life's going to be boring, life's going to suck, life's going to be horrible. I really try to implement and get across to them that that's not true. And that's not going to be true if you hold on long enough to get to that place. Rehab and so many clinicians and the way they do it is it's a punishment. It's a punishment. You know, you're a bad person or, you know, this kind of thing. That's not how we're going to appeal to people to get them to want to stay. Part of this is we want to create an appeal, an interest, and create a desire. In that book, in, re- in that chapter, Is Recovery Real? I do a fictional story within this non-fictional book that's called The Jester's Game. And I, I wrote it because I wanted to throw ideas out there that are out of the ordinary, that are out of the norm, that are thinking outside the box. I heard statistics a um, year ago, a couple years ago, that you know 40% of people that are in recovery have never gone to rehab nor a 12-step program, which I think is a big number. I wish I'd hear, I'd like to hear from more of those people, find out what did they do? Obviously, it's not the 12-step program. And so part of my philosophy and idea is that we want to figure out what is going to work for each individual. And once we find out, find that thing that works for each individual, that's what they're going to do. And that's what they want to do. And that maybe will be effective for them. The treatment program today has one solution. It's why I kind of started with this thing that, that I don't have solutions. I got ideas. Solutions stop the process. If we say that I have a solution to a problem, it cuts the need to further explore other ideas. And the 12-step program, the treatment programs out there, the majority of them, their, their one solution is the 12-step program. Yes, it is by far the best self-help program out there. You won't find one better uh, because, again, it, it's everywhere which is fantastic. But the problem is, is I also work with a lot of people that I know when they leave treatment, they are never going to a 12-step program in their life after they leave treatment. And if that's my solution and that's what I say that you need to do, I've just thrown them, kicked them to the curb. And so clinicians need to start to open their minds and start to think differently and start to look at new ideas, look at different things that might be effective. So the gestures game in my book, again, like I said, is a fictional story. It's really designed on that idea to basically you know, here's something my creative mind came up with that was ultimately effective for the character that's in the story that had nothing to do with the treatment program or a 12-step program. But the first thing that I that I implemented into it and what I thought was the most important was the intrigue, the interest, you know, getting the individual to be, wow, wait a minute, hold on a second. I want to actually learn more. I want to follow this guy. I want to follow this gesture. You got to read the, read the story and you'll kind of get a better understanding of it. But the intrigue is not there. What I'm looking for my, in my life today is no different than what I was looking for when I was trying to find that and sought it and found it originally in the drugs. My innate desire, as well as everybody's innate desire on this planet, I believe, in general, is to feel good. We want to feel good. And so I titled this 
recovery through highness because whether we call this feeling good or we call this getting high we're talking about the same thing recovering through highness i ask clients all the time how do you get high how do you get high how do you get high you know and they're like, oh i do heroin or i do meth or i do coke or and the reality is no that's wrong that's not how you get high because highness is not a property of drugs highness is a property of people there's nothing that you're getting high on in the drug. You're getting high on your own chemicals. All the drugs do is they manipulate, they stimulate the release of, they block the reuptake of, they alter our own chemicals, which is what we call neurotransmitters that ultimately impact our central nervous system, our peripheral nervous system. And, uh, and so there's a manipulation that's happening within our body that is creating this highness that is on an extreme level that we're ultimately experiencing, which in turn, we feel like we're actually getting it from the drug, which we're not. So highness is not a property of drugs. Highness is a property of people. Cocaine, what does cocaine do? Does it have some stimulating effects in terms of, you know, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, serotonin, and then it blocks the reuptake of these chemicals, which allow more of it to be in there. The problem with drugs and the problem with the highness that I'm seeking through in the drugs is eventually they stop working. And that's what a lot of people don't really realize. Most of the people that start drugs, you know, you think, hey, you know, so methamphetamine was my drug of choice. And when I first did methamphetamine, you know, I had everybody telling me, oh, drugs are bad. Meth is bad. This is bad, you know. And then I did meth and it was instantaneously like, what are you talking about? You know, this gives me confidence. I'm motivated. I'm happy. I feel pleasure. I enjoy life. I'm enjoying the day. And all of these great positive things that I was defining it as. But I failed to look at it from the bigger picture. And I wasn't able to see beyond today, you know, that immediate gratification that we're seeking. So the greatest lie that I told myself was that this is what was, this was working for me. And this was always going to be this way. And it's always going to feel this way. And it's always going to have those same effects. Well, sadly, I was wrong because of number one, tolerance. So anytime that you put something outside of yourself, inside of yourself, your body changes, your body adapts, your body will manipulate and work to function as well as possible with what it has. And so as a result of the changes that are happening within you, the metabolizing and this tolerance develops. So now all of a sudden I need to do more and then I need to increase it. And then as days goes on, I got to do more and more and more and more and more, right? And there's a thing that's called adaptation level theory. So adaptation level theory says that anytime that I use something like a drug for an extended period of time, my body is going to adapt to it to where I will no longer get pleasure from it. So if I'm seeking highness, and that's ultimately what I'm looking for, I'm not going to be able to maintain that for the rest of my life through drugs. And since I've come to realize that highness is not a property of drugs, but a property of people, there's one of the greatest ways that I can stay high and eliminate all the side effects that I experience from drugs, and that's to do it clean and sober. And so it's sort of a different way of thinking about things, but it's the truth, right? So if I want to stay high the rest of my life, clean and sober without the drugs is the only way that I'm going to be able to maintain that highness. And I think that's so important. I think it's so important for us to realize that I like to be high. You like to be high. Everybody likes to be high. I was interviewed on Recovery Today magazine 
and I talked about this idea. Actually, I like to get high. You like to get high. We all like to get high. And I even throw my mom in there. My mom likes to get high. <laughs> my mom's never used a drug in her life. So I'm just correlating the difference between feeling good and highness, which really is no different. So I think this is just such an important idea for people to realize. What do drugs do? They create side effects. They create, they, they alter our thinking. They've been, you know, the worst part when we look at withdrawal, alcohol and sedative hypnotic withdrawals. We're talking about benzodiazepines, barbiturates the withdrawal from those chemicals can kill you. And actually, those are the only two classifications of drugs that typically withdrawal can kill you. Heroin, with, heroin withdrawal won't kill you. It makes you want to die, but it won't kill you. And, uh, and then a lot of people don't think that methamphetamine or cocaine really has withdrawal, but that's not true either. It, there's different types of withdrawal. There's physical withdrawal, but there's psychological withdrawal. The psychological withdrawal for methamphetamine and cocaine is the most extreme because it puts you into an enormous deep depression, this major depression, this state of anti this inability to experience pleasure, which makes it very, very difficult to get off of. And that has, again, a result to do with the chemical changes and the things that are happening within you. So I wanted to start out this podcast with just talking about a few of those different things to kind of explain a little bit of my mindset on recovery. I think very differently than most clinicians that work in this industry. Like I said, I am not a black and white thinker. I am a huge fan of the MAT program, which is medically assisted treatment. If people get put on Suboxone and it works for them and it's helping them and it's saving their life, do it. Why are we going to discredit something that may be helping somebody else. The other thing too is that a lot of clinicians, they literally want them to do what they want them to do, right? Or do this, or this is the way I want your life to look. And that's a horrible way to go because it's not my life. This is, you know, your life is your life. My life is my life. And my desires and my interests may be completely different than what your desires or your interests are. And so again, I think it's a big disservice that people are doing when when we're throwing those things onto other people. So recovery to me may mean something different to you, vice versa. And so I think people need to really start opening up their minds. One of the biggest reasons that I've decided to do a podcast is because I want to get information out there, be able to share my thoughts and share my ideas and and to have intellectual, healthy communication and conversations with people. I want to put out my email address on here. My email address is recoveryecosystem at gmail.com, recoveryecosystem at gmail.com. And my website is recoveryecosystem.net. And I really want to hear from people. I would love to get, you know, if people have questions, if people have insight, if people have ideas, I would love to hear from different people. I can I can base some of my podcasts on questions that people have or, or information that they have out. Like I said, I do at some point one at a time and do I want to do some opportunity for people to call in. And again, we can have conversations. You know, people always ask, like, am I an expert in this industry? <clears throat> I can... Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I guess depending on, on, you know, what the real question is that you're actually asking, but I do have an enormous amount of experiential knowledge, like I said, with my own drug abuse. I also went to college, and so I had the book knowledge. I also teach at a school in Rancho Cucamonga called New Creation College. I teach for people that are working to become substance abuse counselors, and so that's kind of been my big passion lately is educational and really working to make a 
effective clinicians to work with the people that are suffering and coming through. Because again, I think there's a lot of clinicians out there that do a lot of disservice to people. And until people start to open up their minds and start to have ideas and get rid of solutions, ideas, ideas, ideas is what we need. Because the solution, again, just shuts the door to further thinking. And so I don't want to, I, I, this is one of the things that I really try to impress upon with the students that I work with. We need to, again, open our minds. We need to think differently. It's time. People are dying. There's been people that have died during the time that I started this podcast up until a point right now. I'm sure there's been a person that's died in this country as, as, as a result of a drug overdose. We need to do something. Our laws, for instance, and I'm going to probably do a podcast on and our drug laws and what the problems there are and what brought us up to this war on drugs and is this kind of thing being effective. So we'll kind of talk a little bit about that. And again, I really hope to get people's insight, people's thoughts, people, people's ideas. Email me with questions, ideas. Please do. Recoveryecosystem at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from people. And so... Um, Thank you for listening. I'm really excited about this. Again, we're going to call this podcast Recovering Through Highness. This is sort of a design to intrigue, to bring interest. Let's get high. And I know that sounds crazy, but to me, that's what real being clean and sober has really brought. Drugs eliminated. Drugs destroyed my ability to get high. I wasn't getting high. All I was doing was using methamphetamine at that point in time to stay awake, to function, to do anything, to, to move from one hotel motel to the next motel crazy tweakers you know <laughs> and so again this podcast recovering through highness i will hopefully have another podcast out soon um, but this is going to ultimately be my the title for this and again please send me messages recovery ecosystem at gmail.com i really thank you